0: Chapter Fifteen of the Place Beyond the Winds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Place Beyond the Winds by Harriet Teresa Comstock. Chapter Fifteen. After Boswell's confidence concerning Anton Farwell, Priscilla's relation to the man who had befriended her, to life itself, became more vital and normal. The superficial conditions were dissipated by the knowledge that Boswell, in speaking so frankly to her, considered her a woman, not a child, and expected a woman's acceptance of duties and responsibilities. Besides this, Boswell himself took on new proportions. His whimsical oddities had been, for an hour, set aside. For a time he had permitted her to see and know him, the simple, good man he really was. In short, Priscilla could no longer play, could no longer make a defense of her shyness and ignorance. She realized that she must plunge into the whirlpool for which she had left the in-place, and she must do so at once. Boswell might fantastically play at being ninety, and permit her to lend her strength and youth to his use, but she never again could be deceived. He was assisting her for Farwell's sake. He liked her— found her entertaining, but intuitively she knew that in order to retain his respect and confidence she must fulfill her part. For a week or so longer he and she went to operas and theaters together while final arrangements were being completed for her immediate admittance, on trial, to the finest private hospital in the city, to which was attached a training school of high repute. Priscilla was both right and wrong about Boswell he did appreciate and admire her insistence to begin her career it was the only course for her to take but he looked forward to the lonely empty days without her with real concern he had to a certain extent grown used to the detachment and colourlessness of his life since farwell had left it but here quite unexpectedly a young and vital personality had entered in and had given him in a crude friendly way to be sure what his absent friend had given the assurance that his deformity could not exclude him from the sweet humanity that was keen enough to recognize the soul of him sensitive shrinking from suffering and publicity the man found in priscilla's companionship and confiding friendliness the deepest joy he had known since his great loss He wished that he was ninety indeed, and that his infirmity and wealth might secure for him this new interest that had taken him out of himself, and caused his sluggish senses to revive. But he was not yet fifty. For all his handicaps he was still in fair health, and the best that he could hope for was that Priscilla, among her new duties, would remember him, come back to him, make his lonely home a retreat and comfort when her arduous duties permitted. Those last few days of freedom and companionship were beautiful to them both. With pride and a certain complacency, Boswell saw that he had somewhat formed and developed Priscilla's tastes and judgment. She was no longer the ignorant girl she once had been. Music did not now move her to tears and a kind of dumb suffering. She began to understand, to control her emotions and gain, through them, pleasure without pain. She laughs, Boswell thought more intelligently and discriminately when she sees a good farce all this was satisfying to them but on a certain late winter day it came to an end and priscilla thrilling with a sense of achievement entered st albans on probation what the weeks of doubt and preparation meant no one not even boswell ever knew the old childish determination to suffer in order to know held true and unfaltering the tortured nerves after the first shocks regained their poise and strength the heavy work and strict discipline left the sturdy body like fine steel although weariness often tested it sorely tis not to dance priscilla glenn she often warned herself it is to suffer and know then she grimly set her strong white teeth with all the getting and relinquishing however she never forgot to laugh and her courageous cheerfulness won for her more than she realized while she was learning the curves of her road and then she was accepted no one but herself had ever doubted her triumph but when she first learned the verdict she was wild with delight and could hardly wait for her hours off to tell boswell all about it she was capped at last no hard-won crown was ever appreciated more than that white trifle which rested like a bit of snow upon the rusty hair of Priscilla Glenn. Before the little mirror in her own bedchamber, on that first victorious day, she posed and confided to her appreciative reflection. "'So this is Priscilla Glenn of the in-place?' she whispered. "'I simply can't believe it. No one else would believe it either, and you are not the same. You never will be again what you once were.' The flush of excitement showed plainer now than of yore for the clear dark skin had taken on the delicacy of the city's tent the eyes were deep and grave for already they had witnessed the mystery of life and death they had smiled down at pain racked motherhood had held in calm courage many an outgoing soul priscilla had a closer vision than she once had had when she dreamed her dreams of what lay beyond the secret portage and the big bay the reflection nodded acknowledgment to all that the excited brain affirmed "'Then suddenly—' "'Why, Priscilla Glenn, you are crying! "'And for which?' "'The quaint expression brought a smile. "'You are homesick, Priscilla Glenn, "'homesick for what you have never had. "'That's the matter with you. "'You want someone to go to and tell about this, "'but in all the world there isn't anyone who could understand. "'You poor, poor dear! "'What would your father and mother think of you? "'There now, never mind. "'You are only a blue-and-white nurse.' Even Master Farwell and Mr. Boswell could not understand, but a woman could. Some women. She would know what it means to be free at last and have something, quite your own, with which to hew and cut your own road. Yes, your own road, right along to, to the end, just as old pine used to cut the new trails. It's the standing up straight at last on your own roots, like the dear little white birch in the place beyond the winds. A woman could understand, but no one else. By some subtle power, Priscilla had thought and talked her fancy far and away from the plain room of St. Albans. Her longing, her quaint, for which, the memory of the Indian guide and the little white birch had performed a miracle. Through the excitement and elation stole the fantastic power of childhood. She was on her road, bound for her heart's desire. No doubt, no misgiving assailed the moment of joy. Forward, just a little beyond, success awaited her. The possibility of defeat was over forever. From now on, through weariness, toil, and perhaps suffering, she was going to her own. She had never realized the tense mental and physical strain through which she had passed. She did not realize it now, but with the relaxation came an almost dangerous exhilaration. The present only so far as it verified the past had no hold upon her she let herself go back again was she in kenmore it was springtime and the red rocks and hemlocks shone and the water sparkled she heard it lapping against the tiny islands so glad was it to be free of the winter's grasp someone was dancing to the spring's call a small graceful thing with a bright red cape flying on the wind the soft wind of the in place there was music too oh how clearly it came rising and falling and then in the bare hospital room the blue-clad nurse tripped this way and that while memory held true to note and step oh it was on again on again that dear old dance it dried the tears in the tender eyes and held the smile on the joyous lips then as suddenly as it had begun the dance ceased a flushed face confronted the reflection in the glass, and a low curtsy followed, while a reverent voice repeated as if in prayer, "'Skib, skib, skibble, dee, dee, dash." The words came of their own volition. They were part and kin to the mood that held and swayed her. They were a pagan plea for guidance and protection in the opening life, where wind and fury would beset her." suddenly words of everyday life found their way to her detached consciousness and recalled her to the present with almost cruel force it's the little canuck he wants just fancy i heard him say so to to mrs thomas such injustice but there the old grenadier comes now hustle priscilla heard the scampering feet then after a moment's pause the dignified advance of the superintendent there was a tap on the door the doors of some rooms owing to discipline were never tapped by mrs thomas but the reason that compelled her to show this courtesy to priscilla also caused her to wish this young canadian was a less serious person one more prone to frivol in her hours off and not have for her most intimate companion the strange dwarf she could have forgiven priscilla glenn if having overdone her late leave she had crawled into a back window to escape punishment It would have made her more understandable. As it was, Mrs. Thomas tapped. Come in, please, said Priscilla, and the large, handsome superintendent entered and sat down. I thought I would come and tell you, she said, trying to keep her professional expression while her maternal heart warmed to the girl, that you have been highly honored. There is to be a very important operation tomorrow at three o'clock. Dr. Ledyard is to perform it, assisted by his young partner. He has asked for several nurses and he named you singled you out he has observed you wishes to use you it's a great compliment miss Glyne. so often had priscilla corrected to no avail the wrong pronouncing of her name that she now accepted it without further demur flushing and trembling she went close to mrs thomas and held her hands out impulsively all my glory is coming at once she faltered glory well you are a queer girl to stand for hours under that man's eye you call it glory why it is an honour because it is that man that eye but as to glory my dear miss Glyne, i must insist that you go off this afternoon and play somewhere then come back and get a good night's rest the life of the richest man in new york will hang in the balance to-morrow and not even the glorified nurse can afford to have a trembling hand when she passes up an instrument or wipes the perspiration from the surgeon's brow thank you oh thank you mrs thomas of course if i were not so stupid i could make you understand how i feel i seem to have found the right way and everything is conspiring to tell me so you see i might not have qualified some girls do not no one might have noticed me you might not have been so kind often i am rather lonely and ungrateful but you must try to believe that i am very happy now i suppose mrs thomas was holding the radiant young face with her clear calm eyes i suppose you are one of those natures that crave success cannot brook defeat life will deal harshly with you i am willing to suffer it is the learning i must have it is the chance to learn that makes me so glad priscilla burst in and it's this sure feeling that i am on the right trail "'There is a difference, but somehow the career of a nurse is so, well, difficult and hard,' Mrs. Thomas went on. "'I wonder how you can approach it with your enthusiasm undaunted after months of service. "'I do not know, but it seems my road to what is mine. "'It gets me so near people, when they most need me, are so glad to have me. "'There seems to be nothing between me and them. "'I love it. "'Oh, I love it, Mrs. Thomas.' See here, Miss Glyne. where are you going this afternoon? I do not know, just going. I wish, dear me, I do wish you could go somewhere, do something shockingly frivolous. No, I couldn't today. I feel like praying, or dancing. There's the most wonderful singing feeling inside of me. That's why I do not need fun as much as most of the girls do. You are very kind. I think I will go to your big fine park and walk and walk. I'd like to see the sunset and the stars. Now, Miss Galine, unless you promise me to get under shelter before the stars come out, I'll call the police. Some day you will learn that New York is not your Canadian hamlet. Priscilla laughed gaily. Very well. I will take my walk and then go to my dear old friend. He'll be looking for me from his high window. He always stands there late afternoons on the chance of my coming. He says it's a pleasure to feel you have something that may come, even if you know it isn't coming just then. Priscilla changed her clothing and set forth a half hour later for her walk and to meet with an adventure that changed the current of her thought materially. From that afternoon she was pressed and forced up her road by a power that had taken her into control with definite purpose. She went into the park at the lower entrance and walked rapidly to a high place that was a favorite with her so peaceful and detached it was that she could generally think her thoughts sing aloud a little song and feel safe from intrusion being high and open the sunlight rested longer there than it did below and misled one as to time there was a glorious sunset that evening a golden deep one against which the bare trees towers and house roofs stood outlined black and sharp it was like a burnished shield It was a still day, with a gentle crispness in the air that stimulated while it did not chill. Everything is waiting. What for? What for? Priscilla whispered sociably to herself. She was young, full of health and success. Of course she was waiting, as the young do. And then something touched her cheek softly, and, looking down, she saw that her dark suit was covered with feathery snowflakes so silently had they escaped a passing cloud that she was startled she arose at once and was surprised to find in the hollow below that the paths were crusted and the electric lights gleamed yellow through a fluttering mist of flying snow it was very beautiful but it warned one to hasten and besides it had grown quite dark there was a path priscilla knew it well that led straight across the park to an entrance near boswell's home and she took it now at a rapid pace The beauty of the walk did not escape her. The exhilaration of the air acted like a cordial upon her. She seemed hardly to touch the ground as she ran on, and once she paused before setting her foot upon the lovely whiteness. As she hesitated, someone stepped from the shadow of a clump of bushes and confronted her under the electric light. "'Can you tell me how to find the nearest way out? I'm lost.' Priscilla's heart gave one hard throb and stood still. It seemed for an hour— while an almost forgotten terror seized and held her. She was looking full upon Jerry Joe McAlpin, a soiled and haggard shadow he was of what he once had been, but it was Jerry Joe and no other. I—I I did not mean to frighten you. Forgive me. I ain't going to hurt you, miss. I— But Priscilla was gone before the sentence was finished, gone before she knew whether the speaker had recognized her or not, gone before— and then she stood still she could not leave him to wander alone at night in that big strange place no matter what happened she must treat him humanly she who knew the danger she went back her blood running like ice through her body but jerry Joe mcalpin was not there priscilla waited and once she spoke vague directions to the empty space but no answering voice replied presently she controlled herself and took to the path again and reached john boswell's house before he had left his window she did not tell of the encounter she felt she must wait but in her heart she knew that jerry Joe mcalpin was as surely on her trail as she was herself such things as that meeting did not happen to them of the in place unless for a purpose she had a wonderful evening with boswell they did not go out and after dinner he read her some manuscript stories boswell had never before so intimately permitted her to come close to his work she had seen stories of his in print had heard plans for others but before the fire in his study that night he read among other things the butterfly and the beetle so beautifully so touchingly had he pictured the little romance of which priscilla herself was part that the tears fell from the girl's eyes while her lips were smiling at the tender humour the undercurrent of meaning threw new light on the lonely life of the rich but wretched man the joy depicted in simple friendly intercourse the aspiration of the beetle the grateful appreciation for the plain common happenings that in most lives were taken for granted but which in his rose to monumental importance endeared him to her anew it brought back to her what boswell had told her of his relations with farwell maxwell her anton farwell she could now with her broader more mature reason understand the devotion the cripple had given the one man who in the empty years had taken him without reservation had ignored his limitations and had been his friend and comrade suddenly she asked have you heard from from master farwell lately the question startled boswell yes i had a letter yesterday he has been ill that squall woman long jean took care of him the letter sounded restless there'll be trouble with Farwell before we get through. My letters are evidently lacking power, and your silence baffles him. Poor Master Farwell! I fancy he thought Joan Moss would go to him. It has been hard work to build a barrier between him and her that could satisfy, now that he believes you have told her of his being among the living. What have you said to him all this time?' Boswell shifted his position, and Priscilla saw the haggard, careworn look spread over his face. By sudden insight she realized that he looked old, pitiful, and far from well, and her heart filled with sympathy. The half-mystical life was telling upon him, becoming a burden. Oh, at first I said the surprise of knowing he lived had made her, made Joan Moss ill. It took nearly six months to cover that, "'and I did some good writing during that period. "'Then I told him there were things to settle. "'Then fear for his safety overpowered her, "'dread of being tracked. "'And since then, well, since then there has been silence. "'Can you not understand? "'His pride has asserted itself at last. "'If she will not communicate with him herself, "'he will have none of me, none of you. "'Has he ever said a word about her to you?' Never, Priscilla answered. But, Boswell went on, I notice a change in him, an almost feverish impatience. I fear he doubts me after all these years. And when he knows? The man by the fire shrank deeper in his chair. When he knows, he repeated, Why, then he will have an opportunity to understand my lifelong devotion, my gratitude, my love, that is all. End of chapter 15, recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.